This is Marky Mark Markellis from Soul Wizard Podcast, and you are listening to the Geek World All-Stars Podcast Network. Oh, wow. I've got a full house today. Yes. And you're in charge, John. <laughs> yeah. Like f- you'd ever chance that. We're fucked. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Like you would ever chance that. <laughs> At least you can admit it. Of course I can. Okay. Who are we again? <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, this cool. is going to be awesome. I think we want to keep it light, keep it fun, keep it airy. Maybe we get right in with the presidential debate. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's that's light and airy, yes. I was yeah. I was thinking religion, but you know. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Talk about the Snyder cut. Yeah. Oh. 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 <laughs> Welcome to the continued podcast adventures of Superhero Speak. But I think many of the people that love this character and that love superheroes in general have used these stories as inspiration to say, you know what? I'm going to do something good in the world. I'm going to make a difference like my hero when I was a kid. That is my fondest memory of it because when, you, when you're doing comic books, you want them to affect people. Right. You want people to care. You want, you want to strike emotions. And I knew that that clone saga was striking a lot of emotions. Can you yep. imagine uh, Pulp Fiction starring Goofy and uh, Mickey Mouse? I can totally imagine that. You I'm know sure what somebody's they call written that one. with cheese and France, Mickey. <laughs> what? <laughs> Boy, ale with cheese, Mickey. Yeah. <laughs> I can totally see. I, I, would, I would watch the hell out of that movie. Yes, I gladly saw, sacrifice that my, my progeny to you, a mighty Marvel beast. <laughs> <laughs> but Neil Adams is somewhere going, hmm? it's, uh, it's my time. <laughs> uh, how do you measure success? Hey everyone, you're listening to Superhero Speak, and I'm your host Dave. And John. Katie. And you know what guys, we haven't had any guests on in quite a while, um, actually, so I think it's time that uh, that we had someone on, and who better to have on than a three-time offender? <laughs> this is his third time on our show. The last time we got to talk to him was at New York Comic Con, and of course... Uh, he is the creator of Wailing Blade, the one and only Rich Duick. How are you, sir? I'm good. Good. How are you? Uh, I'm, I'm doing all right. Can't complain. No one listens. Uh, <laughs> and, and Rich, you enjoy our show so much that you brought a friend with you this week. <laughs> the, the magnificent artist behind Wailing Blade, the one and only Joe Mulvey. How are you, sir? I'm fantastic. And I apologize to your listeners. I have a damaged vocal cord, <clears throat> so my voice might go in and out a little bit. All right. Well, we'll we'll it's uh, perfect for an audio pick, audio <laughs> podcast. I'm, I'm, yeah. Just, well, we'll in, only make, in, we'll in only the make you video. Someone wrote in, uh, "Why does that guy's voice sound like he's whispering in his mother's basement?" And I thought that was hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> we'll only make you talk fifty percent of the time, then. <laughs> um. So I guess we'll start off uh, with. Uh, you guys have a Kickstarter going on for Welling Blade Volume 1. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners who aren't familiar with the book uh, what it's about and what you're trying to accomplish with the Kickstarter? Sure. Uh, so Welling Blade is uh, a tale uh, set in the dark future. Um, basically, uh, the story is that uh, mankind had a uh, you know galactic empire that, that crashed and fell, and this is some 
few thousand years later where um, the only, the people the most in the world are the ones that control kind of the last remnants of the technology. And, um, you know, these are like your, your warlords and your tyrants. And uh, one of them is the tyrant of Minturn and he has a few executioners running around with, with some of these ancient uh, technological weapons, most famous of which is the titular Wailing Blade. Um, and the story is basically about uh, a bandit uh, prince named Tycon, and um, his father is sentenced to be executed by the head taker uh, uh, with the Wailing Blade. So he's got to hatch a plan to uh, try to rescue him from uh, from execution. And that's where our story starts. It's kind of got the feel of like uh, Master of the Universe meets Mad Max. You know, uh, it's very uh, kind of like um, we, we drew a lot from like old kind of uh, 50s and 60s pulp science fiction, stuff like Jack Vance and Michael Moorcock and, um, uh, you know, sword and sorcery, stuff like that. Um, what we're doing with the Kickstarter is um, we, we we put out the single issues last year and they went, went to stores and uh, what we wanted to do rather than just uh, collect all the books in a simple soft cover, we wanted to do something really, really nice. So um, we took, we took the four issues uh, and we got a whole bunch of supplemental material. Like um, we have a new uh, uh, sort of a lot of new like artwork and uh, stories where we're doing a section called legends of the wailing blade, where a lot of our writer and artist friends got together and contributed some uh, pinups and short stories set in the world and uh, we've also got, um, you know, we're teasing a new ending, uh, sort of like an after credits kind of uh, piece that, that's new to the book. And we're packaging it all in like a beautiful die cut hardcover that uh, is, is seriously one of the, you know, not just because it's ours, it's one of the coolest like hardcovers I've seen. Uh, seen. Um, Joe, maybe you want, anything you want to say? I, I know I've been talking a lot, but I want you to rest your vocal cords. So. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it's, I think the thing about the Kickstarter that people really want to know is, I feel like a Kickstarter is more personal. It's like, it's almost like an online convention where people are coming to your table or in this, you know, in this case, the page, and they want to get to know you a little bit more. So if you don't know myself or Rich, we have a very interesting story of how we first met, which is unlike any other story I've heard before. Um Guys, uh, I, I apologize. I don't know if any of you guys are you sports fans. Uh, <laughs> I know JD likes wrestling a lot. Right? I do. So, okay. that, yeah. Well, there, there was a um, a New York Yankees baseball player named David Wells mm-hmm. that looked a lot like Rich. And a few years ago, I kind of met Rich in passing, and we were at a bar. And this guy just I went up for a round, and the guy goes, "Excuse me, are you with David Wells?" And I said, "Yeah." Yeah, I am with David Wells. And the guy goes, oh, my God, I'd love to meet David Wells. Like, what can I do? I said, look, you know, he's had a bad day. Just send a couple rounds of drinks over his way, and I'll bring you over, and I'll introduce you something. So these guys ended up buying us a whole bunch of rounds. And then I just went over with something. So I go to Rich, sign it David Wells. And, and we brought it over, and we gave it to him. And uh, they never caught us. And if they're listening to this now, that wasn't David Wells. And <laughs> this is my fault, but it was several hundred dollars worth of rounds. I mean, I feel like it was a good call, but it was good. 
from that day on, Rich and I were were best friends. Yeah, yeah, it was it was funny. Like uh, like the day the day of that, like the day before that, it was like um, I think it was New York Comic Con, and uh, it was the first one I went to. But I knew I knew uh, Comic Stride, our publisher. I, I you know I known them like through the website. Like I'd spoken to Tyler a little bit, um, his publisher, and I just went over to the booth just to say hi. And and it, Joe's like, Joe, you, you just sort of like took like an instant light. You were like, yeah, yeah, we're going out drinking later. You're coming. And I'm like, all right, cool. I, you know, do you really know anybody? So I was like, yeah, cool. He was, was like, Gary meets here. We wound up getting dinner. We wound up getting a lot of drinks and impersonating famous New York Yankees. Uh, <laughs> but it was the start of a beautiful friendship. And, uh, you know, like, like uh, there were a lot of time, a number of years where we were just sort of bouncing back and forth, like looking for uh, the right project to work on together. And, uh, Turned out to be Wellingwood, you know, because of alcohol again. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, yeah. I, got Joe, I got Joe drunk and 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 got him to agree to it. Little mm-hmm. did he know, he'd be drawing intricate backgrounds. While on my other books, I have them wandering through the Arctic and then or underwater, where it's like either all white or all black. Joe has to draw every grain of sand. It's <laughs> not. It's not like <laughs> every branch in the forest. I I swear he's going to do a book with Alex Cormack called Purgatory, where there's no background whatsoever. <laughs> and then he's going to be like, okay, Joe, yours is called The Sands of Time, where every sand is a planet. So every <laughs> every grain. Um, that's actually a good uh, segue into, so, Joe, you haven't been on the show before, and we like to get to know people, and uh, especially creative people like yourself. So was art something you always wanted to do, and was comic book art, you know, always the goal, or is it like, how did you get there? You know what? The story I have is so convoluted that it's borderline unbelievable. So <laughs> I, I love comic book art. And growing up, um, Todd McFarlane was like the goat, right? Mm-hmm. Like I was up in that 90s image time. And, you know, I think one of the first books I picked up was Spawn and <clears throat> blew my mind. And then when I started getting into comics, I was like 15, 16. And I would get offers from like smaller companies to do stuff, no pay, all that stuff. <clears throat> and then I started working, going to college, fell out of comics for a little bit. And then the reason I got back in was I was doodling on a TGI Fridays, like like a placemat. And someone saw it and was like, oh, I work for this, um, like a, a company under Hasbro. Would you want to come in? We need like a background artist. We need this. And then I started working for that company with um, several other people who are in comics now, like uh, Brian Edward Hill, who is um, Batman and the Outsiders, um, mm-hmm. does a lot of stuff for Top Cow, and he um, <clears throat> he wrote the forward in the in the book in the in the Willing Blade Volume One, and uh, Nelson Blake, who's an artist, and Stephen Harris, who's an artist. So I started working there, and from there, I just kind of made more connections and went off into a, a you know a <clears throat> illustration jobs. And then you got drunk with Rich, and the rest is history. Mm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. So, um, so then, actually, I'm I'm kind of curious too about the Kickstarter. You guys are doing the the die cut cover, um, the hardback, and that's like we, we always have this conversation about digital versus, uh, you know, physical books anymore. And I see Kickstarters like this, and they're always successful. Do you think there still is a big market for uh, physical books? Oh, absolutely. Um, 
you know, this comes up a lot and, and especially come up a lot this year because, you know, with the uh, with diamond uh, shutting down for a mm-hmm. period um, back in, you know, around May and a lot of comic stores needing to uh, temporarily close. And unfortunately, some of them had to permanently close. Um, you know, it, it has come up, but, you know, I think when we're talking about print, we're talking about a couple of different things. Like, you know, um, there, uh, there's like the issues call, you know, call them like floppies, you know, those magazines that come mm-hmm. out every week. But then there's also, um, you know, books or, you know, you want to get fancy phone graphic novels or whatever. Um, and I think like personally, I, I'm someone I'd much rather read even a, uh, like a, a floppy than, than read the same thing as a PDF. I feel like, uh, reading it on screen, it's kind of hard to really make a connection and hard to feel like, um, you know, uh, kind of get like invested in the story. Like, like I can read it, I can enjoy it, but it's like more often than not, if I read something digital that I really like, I'll, I'll, I'll seek to get it as a physical object because there's just something about being able to hold it in your hand that makes it real. And, um, you know, like if uh, Comixology servers go down, all of a sudden I can't read all of my Comixology books, you know, it's like, unless I have like a house fire or somebody like steals stuff from my bookcase, like that's never going to happen with my books. Um, and I think the question of like, whether the model is going to move from these like, you know, uh, monthly or weekly um, issues, you know, they may, they may have to go away. I don't know. I hope they don't, but they may, but I don't think books are going to go away anytime soon. If books were, if digital media was going to replace books, it would have happened already. It's not like there's, you know, much more you can do. I mean, you know, I, I don't know, like maybe in 50 years, there'll be like some sort of like virtual reality thing where you can, you know, not tell the difference and like really like feel the paper or something, but it's just like, you know, a, a book, it, it, it's, it's, um, it's like a physical object that you can own. It, it's almost like the difference between owning like one of your favorite albums on, on vinyl and then mm-hmm. just like listening to it on Spotify. It's like, yes, technically, it's the same music, but there's a whole different experience and a whole different relationship you have with the object. And, you know, I think on Kickstarter, especially since um, you, you can sort of set your own goals and your own, uh, and your own, um, like you're not, you're not so much beholden to like a standard format or something. You can actually try to create a book that that's a piece of art in and of itself that you'd want to own just because it's a book that looks really nice and, and feels really nice. We've talked about this before, um, and uh, I think we were talking about something, and we got onto like the the thing of like owning movies, like buying movies f- mm-hmm. from a streaming service. Well, what do you own? You own right. you own the movie on the streaming service, and if the streaming service goes down, which some of them are starting to do that now, it's like, well, you know, you spent thirty bucks to own quote unquote a movie. Right. Yeah. So stuff like this, like like your example with Comixology. Yeah. What happened if uh, What happens if Amazon sells Comixology or right. something like that? Right. So when you when you give when you give a cover, and I'm looking at your Kickstarter right now, when you give a cover that looks that good, and you know the the high quality book, you know, I I always try to personally, I always try to to buy an actual physical copy, and you know, I've got a place up in my room for for mm-hmm. such special tomes. Yeah. It's like for my like reading habits and I can't speak for anybody else. It's like, you know, like the stuff I read digitally is the stuff that like, um, I am not like too vested in. It's like, you know, 
if it's if it's something that I want to check out and I'm not really sure that I want to, you know, kind of give up the space like in my house or, you know, something like that. It's like that's how I will kind of check out and see if I like it. Um, but you know, that's just me. Like I, you know, I know there are people who prefer to read digital and there's nothing, I have nothing against those people. You know, if, if like reading web comics is your, is your thing, more power to you. It's just like, it's not me. And I, I don't, I think that there's enough people out there that still like, like books and physical objects that like the market is changing, but still will be there like, you know, five, 10 years, whenever. Well, can I also just say this? <clears throat> Comics Club is known for making these really nice, you know, final presentations, trades. Like they just did a book called She. It was a one shot by Ryan Lindsay. And it is breathtaking. Like it's a beautiful hardcover book. And I think that's like, especially the strength of the publisher. That's one thing that they do exceptionally well. Mm-hmm. Cool. cool. And um, what's, uh, I was going to ask. Oh, yeah. So I look at speak because uh, John mentioned the Kickstarter. Um, your uh, what? What's your goal? And then um, what? What do you explain to people what that goal is going to to get them? Like you know, um, I know you because you have a couple different tiers as well, right? Mm-hmm. So we have a few different tiers because we, you know we kind of recognize that um, people have different preferences, and also we wanted to be get the books into the hands of as many people as we can. And not everybody's going to want to throw down uh, like 45 or $50 uh, for a hardcover, you know? Um, so you have a few different levels. We have a digital only tier. We have um, the hardcover, like we talked about. And then we also have just like a standard size trade paperback, like you would find um, in any comic store or bookstore where, uh, you know, it's got a really nice cover, but it, it's a soft cover and um it's the virgin soft cover yeah there, there's two editions there's the one there's the one with the uh kind of as the uh i think it's the same art as, as we had on on issue one and that one is is the one that you'll eventually be able to find in stores down the road mm-hmm. um, and there's also the virgin cover which is just like this beautiful art by joe and chris sotomayor a colorist um, without any logos, without anything. And that's going to be exclusive to the Kickstarter. Um, so, you know, like, like the whole different thing with, with having the different editions. Yeah. It's really just like, we just want to give people the opportunity to read it their way, you know, wh- however they prefer. Um, the goal that we're trying to hit is $30,000. We're a little bit over halfway there. We're about 17,000 right now. And um, what that is going to go to, like the large majority of that is going towards printing the book. Um, you know, it's um, it's not a cheap endeavor to print these books. So uh, most of the money is going to the print run and, and the shipping and things like that. And then the remainder, I believe, most of it will be going to sort of paying the uh the artists and uh, other contributors for, for stuff that they're bringing to the book. Have you ever, have you ever done a Kickstarter for that much before? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I think the last, the next biggest one we did was for the Wailing Blade uh, issue number one, which we did uh, last, I think it was either last year or the year before. 
And the goal for that, since it was a uh, single issue, I think was about, um, I think it was about 6,000, but uh, we wound up making around 10 or 12 or something like that. So that helped a lot because it allowed us to um, uh, finance the print runs for some of the later issues without having to, you know, um, go out of pocket for it and wait for it to come back. So, so that was good. And, you know, it, it's just sort of like, it's just the reality of it. Like uh, it is going to be an expensive book to print because it is going to be an amazing book. So, you know, we're, we're, we're if I could put on my, my, if I could put on my salesman shoes uh-huh. for one second, it's not just a book. It's a weapon. <laughs> it's a weapon. Okay. That book is going to be real deal. Plus it's going to be like spectacular. It's going to be foil embossed die cut sword on the cover. It'll be a book you could put out that everyone will want to pick up. Mm-hmm. So I would just maybe even wear one as a necklace. That might be a later. <laughs> with, yeah. What's the advantage to working with someone like uh, Comics Tribe and doing this kind of a campaign? Well, I, the, the, well I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Joe. I'm just going to say, I think the, the thing that I would get out there about Comics Tribe is they are very image-esque, whereas right now creators are working with a bunch of different companies and they take a lot of the IP, but the good thing about Comics Tribe is they do all these things for you to present your book in the best possible light and they don't take your IP. Mm-hmm. So that to me is like a glaring thing beyond the fact that Tyler who runs it, it's just a really good person and he's super into helping educate you on all the steps in the process. It's but truly creator owned. Yeah. <clears throat> yep. But the, one of the advantages of working with Comics Tribe on a Kickstarter is that, uh, Tyler's run about, I think, at this point, like 10 or 12 really successful Kickstarters. I don't think he's had any that have failed. And I think most of them have made uh, almost double their goal. Uh, Hmm. Plus that, he also runs um, another business called Comics Launch. And Comics Launch is dedicated to educating uh, independent creators and publishers on how like the best practices to run a Kickstarter. So he does a podcast like this one, he does seminars, everything like he'll he'll interview people with successful Kickstarters. So it's like, he's really, really kind of dug into the nitty gritty of of the model. uh, And, you know, just learning as much as he can about what makes a successful Kickstarter versus what makes um, one that uh, might not make its goal. And the advantage of working with him is that instead of Joe and me needing to sit down and watch uh, 60 hours of videos and, and podcasts and all that, we need to say, hey, Tyler, do your thing. And, <laughs> and he'll go and do his thing, which is, you know, uh, amazing. Um, and he tells us things that we can do that can help. And, and uh, you know, it's just great to work with somebody who knows, like, uh, the intricacies of, of like a Kickstarter because it, it's you know a lot of it is still guesswork, but we feel like we're making kind of like educated guesses. Yeah, having uh, being a comics launch alum myself, I just wanted to get it out there what uh, what Tyler does and how big of an impact he has on, on independent creators really around the world at this point. Yeah, and yeah, uh, I mean it's cool that you guys uh, the owning the IP. You don't get that a lot and uh does no, that mean we'll really see a, a whaling blade uh cartoon and action figures <laughs> uh soon an adult well, swim maybe yeah you know i mean there i don't know about anytime soon but i mean like nothing's outside the realm of possibility it's it's you know 
I'd be lying if I said it's not something like we thought of and, and you know, have like uh, talked to a couple of people about. It's just one of those things where um, those sort of discussions are the things that kind of take years and years to do and, and also, you know, fall through very easily. So, you know, nothing's around the corner, but it's just <laughs> something where like if, if someone was interested, it's great to know that like we have the freedom to be able to pursue it. Right. Rich, I don't mind. I mean, I hope you don't mind me airing our dirty laundry on the show, but I do think that it is great that we own the IP, but it's not great that you got to be a real prick in negotiations. And (laughs) we can't make a movie deal unless you play the head taker. Sure. Like you've got to stop. Bottom line. I have the build for it though, you know, and the the talent. So we're not, we're not going over. You're a physical specimen. I mean, we know that. (laughs) <laughs> but I mean, let's just get the money, okay? And, and you yeah, already have the do something. He needs a job. You already have the skull to wear too, right? And, well, I, yeah, we have <laughs> we have the blade. We got that made. Yeah, little, little special effects, you know, make it look real. But I mean, um, yeah, you know, I, I think it's something that like were something to happen in that arena. It's like, uh, you know, it's just like way better from our perspective to to be able to have a little bit of control and, and the power to say no. Whereas like if it was um, another sort of company, we might, they might just be like, Oh yeah. You know, we, we sold it to um, some fly by night TV studio in, uh, you know, Uwe Boll. Yeah. And like, (laughs) you know, know, we don't, we don't know what's going to happen with it, but uh, yeah. So it's much better, much better to have that like, control and and uh you know and ability to to uh have input on oh on definitely yeah where it goes. <clears throat> cool and uh so let's say this is uh is this is a, a successful campaign and and get your books out there is there plans for a volume two well, yeah. hold on it depends yeah. once the quarantine is over and rich can get me out to a bar then ah. <laughs> probably have volume two on so what yeah. you're saying is pledge extra for some more whiskey is what yeah. you're saying. It wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't Joe. even that expensive. I was cheap. It was a happy get, hour. We got to give Joe in Brooklyn. We got to give Joe some time for his voice to heal up to you know so we can get like a nice long drinking session and he doesn't have to go home and rest and you know <laughs> yeah. Once we open up, I'm gonna ensnare him. To doing that. <laughs> cool. And it's it's not. I know it's gonna happen, so I'll be on your phone. Yeah. But I mean, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, the, the way the way we ended the story and even with kind of like the new coda, like that all sets up like where we want to go with the second arc. And then, um, you know, we'll see how successful this one is and uh, and then make some decisions about that, whether it happens right away or whether it happens after we um, clear our plate of like a couple of other projects like, you know, Joe is he's an amazing man, but he's only a man. He's got another book called happy hill that he's working on and we don't want that to get delayed. So, you know, um, yeah. So I, I think like the desires there, it's just sort of a question of like when and how we're going to make it happen. But Rich has said, if the Kickstarter does a certain level, it'll be the um, put Joe on cocaine level so that I'll be able to do <laughs> two books at one time. So we'll see. <laughs> I mean, I'm a willing participant. I'll see what happens. All right. <laughs> um, I was going to be my next question as well, too. What are some uh, other projects you guys have out there you want people to look out for? 
I, I was going to ask about gutter magic myself because it sure. sounded really cool. I heard it. I heard an interview with Source Point Press about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gutter yeah. magic's really good. And I'll just throw that out there. I've been a fan of that for years. Thanks. Okay. Yeah. So gutter magic was uh, the first uh, series I published. Um, I published it with IDW back in 2016, and um, it did well, but not so well enough where they were like, just keep doing it, you know, <laughs> until you're until uh we run out but um but anyway so they decided they didn't really want to do more but then source point press was really interested in it so they were like would you would you like to do some more issues and i was like yeah absolutely um so we had it all planned out for earlier this year uh and then uh the world took a turn so it came out but uh you know there were like a few issues with like getting it out to stores and things like that so um, the issues came out. I love them, uh, but they didn't really, um, like, uh, they didn't, they didn't really, I feel like get their, their due in terms of like, you know, people getting a chance to see it. But the uh, good part is, is that we're putting out a trade collection for that source point press. I believe it'll be out early next year. So people who did miss it in uh, single issues, which is very easy because most of the stores are closed when the first few issues are coming out are going to get a chance to read the whole thing in one shot. Um, it was amazing to uh, get a chance to work on those characters again um, and a great time doing it. So the second volume is called smoke and mirrors. Um, and like I said, that should be out um, fairly early in the year. Um, continuing the story of the characters in Gunner Magic. Um, the other project I have going right now is uh, it's called Sea of Sorrows. It's going to be out on uh, November 18th. And Sea of Sorrows is a follow-up to uh, Road of Bones, which I did last year with Alex Cormack and Justin Birch. And uh, it's another horror story. Um, it's not a direct sequel, but it is kind of like thematically a sequel. So like, well, we, you know, we kind of talk about how like, um, uh, you know, like like Shaun of Dead, Hot Fuzz, and uh, um, the World's End. The World's End are kind of like you know they are separate, but they they do have like you know a lot of like threads in common. That's kind of like our approach to our horror stuff. So Sea of Sorrows, it's like um, this one is set post World War One, and it's on a, a salvage boat uh, in the in the uh, Mid Atlantic, diving for. Uh, uh, German gold in a sunken U-boat and the crew runs into uh, more than they bargained for when uh, a sea siren uh, decides to start luring them to their deaths. Um, and it's a lot, it's a really fun book. I had a, a great, great time writing it. Alex had a great time drawing it. Uh, joke and a test. There's a lot of like black backgrounds and uh, the worst. It's, it's absolutely worst. I, it's a, <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this is like an in joke with, with me and I think, Joe. Uh, I think yeah. Alex went all yeah. out and drew like nine bubbles on one page. Yeah. It was really <laughs> but it, it, it really is like a, a beautiful looking book, and, and I'm, I'm really proud of it. I think it's some of the best writing I've done. So I'm really excited for people to check that out too. And Rich, how many issues is it for? Uh, no, it's going to be five issues. Um, <clears throat> Road of Bones was four. Um, the reason for that was at the end of the day, mo- like the most of the story was like three guys walking through the wilderness. So if we were going to add a fifth issue to that, it would pretty much be just those three guys walking around. We felt like it might get a little repetitive. So uh, we just wanted to cut to the chase with that one. 
Uh, but with Sea of Sorrows, you have a bit of a larger cast and a little bit of... And they're swimming around instead of walking. Yeah, they're, just they're swimming, swimming around, around instead of walking. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. there's like a whole crew that has to die before the end. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we're doing five for that. And, uh, and I think number three is a really big issue. Like number three, I don't know, I don't know what it is, but number three seems to be the one that everyone's excited for. No, no, number one is what everyone's excited uh, for. Is it really... <laughs> I feel like it's great. Well, uh, number three is good. Number three is good too. But yeah, this, despite the fact that we have a variant cover from Joe Mulvey, <laughs> that we were, we were worried that that would kind of drag oh, us out this. a little bit. But I think it's actually worked out for the best because you know, I've I'm, never had to pay a publisher to do a cover before. But you know what? <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> but I mean, that's that's another another great you know fringe benefit of. of of working with Joe is that I get to pull him in on, on, you know, doing covers and, and, and stuff like that and bring like, uh, you know, a new, like his, his own style to like, to, to my other projects, which I love. I'm real excited to see Sorrows. Road of Bones, I said on this show, was my favorite horror book of the year last year. Mm-hmm. Like I, I absolutely adored that story. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to this one. It's, uh, it's going to get me back in the shop. I don't like leaving the house anymore, but this one's <laughs> <laughs> So I'm excited for you. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I, I think like Rotobones like made an impression on a few people. I, I saw it, like uh, a couple of weeks ago, Derek Robertson said it was like his favorite book, which was like a shock because like, I, you know, like I, I met him, like he's like one of my idols as far as like, you know, artists go and, uh, and, and comics professionals go. And I had met him at San Diego last year and gave him the issues and, you know, like I knew he liked them, but for him to say that like it was like one of his favorite books it was like wow pretty amazing so very happy with that um but joe you why don't you tell them about uh happy hill yeah a little bit um it's a book set in purgatory so no <laughs> no so the real uh, world okay yeah <laughs> happy hill is just a book i'm gonna write and draw it's a five issue series it'll uh, come out next year and it's pretty much um, like what if Lethal Weapon and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory were put together? <clears throat> so I want this book to be something where you open it up and you go, oh, maybe even like the better pitch is uh, The Shining meets Willy Wonka. Oh, yeah. But you, you, you open up this book and I want every reader to be like, I want to go there. I want to do this because this place, it's a resort where um, a kid has gone missing and a mask was found from this character that's called the Woodsman who's an old myth. He's like a little bit of a genie and a boogeyman put together where you make a wish to the woodsman as a child. He makes it come true. And at some point in your life, he will make you repay that kindness. And this kid goes missing on the resort grounds. The mask is found that looks like the old mask that all the kids drew of this woodsman character. And then uh, two disgraced FBI agents get sent in undercover to um, pretty much see if the kid is there, if, if, if it's a big lie, if it's a big hoax, if it's nothing at all. And again, they were disgraced FBI agents, so they're not going to be exactly doing everything right the way they should be doing it. So uh, that'll come out next year. Hopefully it's a five-issue mini, and then Rich will have me back um, drawing something with ornate, <laughs> annoying backgrounds, and uh, I'll probably be drunk the entire year. 2021 is going to look good. Did you? <laughs> hey, you go. Joe, just out of curiosity, did you do like a cover for Spencer and Locke? I did a lot of them. Yeah. 
Okay. I, I thought I thought I because I, I know I'd heard your your name before. That's like one of my favorite comics. Yeah, David's really blowing up now too, man. Mm-hmm. He, oh, speaking he, of you, he's got, good. yeah, he's got a, he's got a she's got a short story in uh, in this book. Uh, one of the things we did was uh, we we did this whole section that's called Legends of the Blade because like Whitley Blade kind of takes place in this society where it has this technological past, but things it's such like a dark age that most of the people that live on the planet don't really know like the true history of it. So, you know, it, it, it's sort of like a lot of like the things about the technology and especially of the whaling blade, it's all superstition. So we reached out to a bunch of um, our friends and creators that we, we, we admire uh, and said, Hey, would you guys tell a story that's like a legend about the whaling blade, like in the world. So maybe it's like a couple of people like in a campfire in one town telling a story. Another one might be like uh, the story, like a tavern owner is telling like his guests, things like that. So what we're doing was it's like, we're doing a prose story and then a pinup from an artist that goes with the prose story. So uh, David, uh, the post contributed a uh, great one um, uh, that's going to be in there. Uh, some other people that uh, contributed were John Lees, um, Melissa White, um, DB, yeah, right? DB Andrew, the writer of, uh, of Resonant uh, from Vault, um, and a whole lot of other people. And uh, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm like blanking a little bit just because I don't have the list in front of me. But we also have a lot of great artists like uh, Gavin Smith and um, Lane Lloyd. Um, and, uh, Liana Kangas, Liana Kangas. So, you know, it's really like, uh, it, it was just like a, a, like a really cool kind of thing where we do just a little different way of like, uh, kind of expanding the world and, and getting some other people involved. So, but we think it, it's shaping up to be like a really fun addition to the lore of the world. So we're excited for people to check that out too. Cool. You know, some of the stuff you, uh, you keep describing, I, I'm, I'm just kind of wondering, are you not just talking about 2020, but uh, <laughs> the dark age, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, we need a whaling blade. Um, Who else runs a Kickstarter through one of the most tumultuous elections in the history of our lives? Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah. These Gutsy. guys. These guys. <clears throat> Try to get to hashtag, their time. <laughs> hashtag have balls like the blade. <laughs> <laughs> um so, so Rich, you you said something. Uh, you alluded to something a little earlier, and I kind of wanted to to come back to it. Was uh, how like a lot of stores have been closed, a lot of shops have been closed, and mm-hmm. uh, so a book like this comes out, and your book just sits on the shelves. Um, like how I don't think people realize how damaging that is, especially to like smaller uh, publishers. Like because not only you know you're not selling your book, but like no one even knows your book exists. Right. Yeah. Um, what do you, what, what, what do you say to people um, that are in this situation and like, what's something you do to, to try to get people excited, keep the excitement about your book going? Well, I think you kind of have to um, just as an independent creator, you have to expand your view of what, what success is and what um, the places are that you are able to like sell your, your books in you know, comic shops are going to be one place, one piece of it and an important piece of it. But, you know, as an independent publisher and independent creator, 
you're you have to look for other ways to get the word out and one good thing about crowdfunding and kickstarter um is that it's you know it it it's it sort of i think like when kickstarter first began people had this view of it as if you were somehow like kind of begging for money like uh it was like oh well i can't sell this in a store so i'm gonna tr- you know if you can help me get this made maybe i can do that and it's really not that anymore what it is now it's like it's 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 basically like a store where you can mm-hmm. pre-order stuff and the great thing about it is that the people that pledge to your to uh to create the book are really excited about it you know it's like you know it's not the sort of thing where like um someone looks at it and is like oh it's kind of cool i guess you know or why not you know mo- mo- the majority of people are like wow this is awesome i really want to see this so i'm gonna i'm gonna put some money towards it so you know it, it, i don't think there's that kind of like stigma for kickstarter i mean you know scott snyder just did a kickstarter uh jeff lemire just did a kickstarter keanu reeves just did a kickstarter yeah. <laughs> oh, so, you know that's like a whole other like uh whole other discussion but i just think it's like you know as much as we love stores it's like we have to uh, understand that they're struggling too and they're going to you know be leaning on the things that they know uh, are going to make money for them rather Mm -hmm. than taking chances on smaller indie books so it's like our goal as independent creators is to find the other um the other like ways to success and and get the word out about our books that you know not necessarily centered around like the goal of just um selling books in stores because like i I think it's it's sort of thing where like if we can do good on our own then the stores will come along and and you know if they hear that the book is hot and the book is popular they can buy some too and, and get it out to their customers so it's it's just sort of like i think in the long run it's like doing things that will kind of help the book sell elsewhere can have an effect that's positive for stores. Even if it's not like we're asking stores to like order a ton and then just have it sit on the shelves because that doesn't help anybody. It's like we can sell a ton on our own and get the book popular. And then we like let stores in on the action and they'll do good. We'll do good. And everybody will be happy. Hey, I just want to mention that your generic background has a cat in it. You might want to switch to the Hawaii background. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when you were just talking about people looking at your book and going, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. You described about 50% of the people who walk through Artist Alley at every con. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is true. But but like in this case, though, it's like you said, it, you're going economies of scale. There's so many people that are going through Kickstarter now and you're right. It doesn't have the same stigma as it did originally. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, you know, you, you've got signed copies of things, right. And the nice mm-hmm. die cut cover, which, you know, how many of those are you going to bring to a convention, right? Oh, yeah. They're heavy. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, I mean, I've, I've backed a lot of Kickstarters these days, a lot more than I used to, because, you know, I can't go anywhere and, you know, we talk to people and you find out about this, about this cool stuff and, you know, you read a couple of pages um, and you, you know you want to back it. Yeah. And it's also just a lot more like um, more like a real kind of like store, you know, like yeah. than it used to be. Like, like I remember when Kickstarter first started getting popular, it's like they didn't have any kind of like shipping options or like uh, 
you know, ways to like add shipping to the pledge or not, or it was just sort of like a mess and you just had to like cobble together and hopefully everyone would get their info straight and people would get their books. Now that stuff is all integrated into the platform. There's fulfillment services that will help you, you know, organize everything. So it really is like, like the mechanisms are in place where like, it's not so much like you're taking a chance on this product. It's a lot more just like you're, you're saying like, yeah, I want this. I'll put the money up for it now and you guys go make it. Right. Right. And then, and sometimes you can even have the writer of a book kill you off in their book. It's the price is right. He'll do it. Yeah. I'll kill, I'll kill all you guys if you want. No, no, you don't understand. I paid to have myself killed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I murdered John in my Kickstarter that I did two months ago. So nice. Yeah. It was fun. <laughs> can, can I ask how he, can I ask how he does? It's eaten oh, by a werewolf. Oh, that's a great way to go. I, 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 I hope it's really messy though. Did you get to rise as as your own werewolf after, or is no, it, no, he's done. No, I wanted to die. I I paid to be dead, so no, it's not important. It's not important enough. So as, as Samuel L. Jackson says, "You are dead as fried chicken." <laughs> <laughs> I think I think John was just done with twenty twenty. Was like, okay, JD, kill me. So. <laughs> yeah, but I appreciated it. It was, it was lucrative rewarding to murder you john <laughs> i mean like we but we, we like have stuff where like uh we have we have levels where like you can draw you can pledge and get yourself drawn by joe as one of the mm. like executioners and yeah it, it, it's just like another way to like kind of have fun and and like you know just be able to offer people something that mm. they wouldn't be able to get oh yeah i, I backed a kickstarter by kaylin smith oh. and i got drawn as a as a i got a a well, a wanted poster as an evil person. Mm-hmm. So evil metahuman or something. So yeah, there, there's all sorts of things you can, you guys can do. When I had mine a couple months ago, like I had another guy reach out to me, John, and wanted to die in the book. And um, so I, I, yeah, I said, sure, I'll take your money to kill you. And then I reached back and said, so how did you hear about this Kickstarter? And he said, oh, I just go through Kickstarters and look for ones that I can be a part of. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that's so cool that there's actually people out there that that make that a point to just bail back Kickstarters as long as they can get involved. And, and that's the thing that separates Kickstarter from any other type of sales platform is that part is that feeling of participation. Like mm-hmm. in the most cases you're helping get the project done. And in other cases, you're physically getting yourself involved in things or, or, you know, metaphorically getting involved. It's, it's interesting. And there's nothing, there's nothing quite like it. I'm glad that, you know, the stigma, the old stigma of Kickstarter has been erased. Like we're still fighting it a lot on the pro side of things, but comics has just kind of set the trend of what Kickstarter is. Mm. Just think about what makes comics so great is that you could be a huge fan of a creator, go to a show, meet them face to face and have a meaningful conversation for at least a few minutes. So now what Kickstarter does is they kind of even take you more in the fold. So now it's not even you're at the table across from each other you're sitting at the table you can make decisions that affect the course of the book the packaging the things like you know a story where you can get yourself killed you can be involved in that world that you're helping to create and i think it's amazing oh definitely yeah um and it's funny because like one of the things i'm definitely interested in here is uh things like you have the the creator's edition of the book Mm -hmm. and as somebody who has had an idea for a long time, but has never sat down and actually written his idea for his, his comic. Um, I'll buy this just to get inspired to, to work on my end. So, yeah, I mean, like that's the thing. It's like, yeah, you can come up with cool different ideas that you don't normally 
would see from uh you know marvel or dc or any other publisher you know how often do they do something like this so yeah i'll i'll, I'll explain the creator's edition real quick it's it's really geared towards like um you know people like you who who you know want to create a comic but you may not kind of necessarily like um you know you, you want to learn about kind of like how it comes together and mm-hmm. really kind of see a little bit behind the curtain and into the process so so what we're doing there is uh, it's going to be a, a black and white book where you're going to have my scripts on one side and Joe's uh, either concept art or finished pages on the other. So you'll really be able to see like how, how things go back and forth and, and, and we'll have commentary in there too about, you know, things that may have, have changed from the script to the page. And uh, you know, it's really kind of meant as a tool to help people who are either really interested in the process or want to get an idea of how to do it on their own to just sort of give them um, a, a little window into that world and maybe um, kind of help, help them get their own stuff underway. Because I know like when I started making comics, like what kept me from doing it for a long time was I just had no idea like what a comic should even look like. You know, it was like, well, I don't know, like, I knew how to, I, you know, I had taken like a couple of screenwriting classes and I knew mm-hmm. how to write a screenplay, but I, I knew that it wasn't the same thing. So, and, and then, and there's no kind of like standard like book or something that you can buy that just like, you know, Oh, this is what everybody does. So, you know, I, I think it, it, it could be really cool. Like um, for people who are, are like looking to get into comics or are really just kind of interested in like uh kind of like behind the scenes kind of thing. It's almost like uh if it was a movie, it would be like one of the DVD extras or something. Right. I mean, I, I, I'm such a, a dork for this kind of stuff. Um, mm. And JD is probably mad at me for this. Uh, You're a dork. I agree. What are we when, uh, when, <laughs> when Civil War came out, I actually bought the, uh, they had a, the, the director's cut of the first issue where it had um, Mark Miller's script and then some of the concept drawings alongside mm. of the, uh, his script. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, bought, I bought that too. I buy almost every director's commentary. I'm looking right now at um, Capullo and uh, Snyder's Court of Owls, the entire just penciled version. Ooh, huh. wow. Yeah. I didn't know that yeah. was available. Hmm. Oh, it, it's gorgeous, man. It is gorgeous. If I didn't have to reach over and knock several things over, I'd grab it. But it is really <laughs> cool. Um, speaking of other people's work, I, I'm going to bring it up because uh, it, it, it's. I'm just kind of curious of people's takes. It's something I've kind of started on on uh, on our uh, social media, totally by accident. Are either of you guys watching The Boys? And what do you think of the of the show and Dave's, the book? Dave's going to beat this to the ground. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. my god. He. It's uh, like week week three of this. Hold on. Here. Just just so you can see, I grabbed it. So this oh, is the. Oh, uh, cool. that's cool. Oh wow. It, and it's all pencils all the way through. Oh. And I'm glad I can be doing this on an audio podcast so that <laughs> <laughs> really getting the benefit of it. Oh, we'll have the video for this. Maybe we'll throw it on YouTube. Yeah, um, should, actually. Yeah, it's so cool. Anyway, um, I've never read the boys' comic, so uh, I just went into it kind of blank, and I really like the show. Yeah. I, 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 I also had never really read it, but uh, went into it blank. I like the show a lot. And then I bought the Omnibus edition and read the comic too. And um, I, I think I, I like them both, but I think the show, I, I think I like the show a lot better than the book, honestly. You can't like compare the art and stuff, but I think the storyline 
like the, the 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 show just sort of like took the source material and took it in in a direction that I, I think was like uh, I'm really like really enjoying. Pretty yeah. interesting directions too. Yeah. No, it's just um, and and you guys hate and, it? like what's what I don't understand. I, I thankfully, thankfully, JD shares my view uh, on this sort, a little bit. Sort of. I never watched the show. I didn't like. I read the first trade a long time ago and didn't care for it, so um, I didn't pick it up. Yeah, it's just we don't like the whole deconstruction of superheroes, and it's just uh, it's too dark. There's no one to root for in the show, so I kind of like after the second season, I was just like, I posted this on my personal Facebook page, had nothing to do with the podcast or anything, and I was just like, I'm done, I'm out, I'm like, I'm not going to watch anymore. And I had people attacking me for not liking the show, <laughs> so I've kind of steered into it. Like, well, no, it stinks. <laughs> it, it is the internet, so. Yes, I can't. I can't see that. That's like a not. I mean, like there's. It's probably not a very. Um, what am I trying to say here? A lot of people might have that same opinion because we're living in 2020. There's so much dark going on. Yeah, maybe you want something a little bit more upbeat. I mean, that's that's my. I mean, I I, I the boys like I like you. I've read the boys. I like the show better. If it weren't 2020, it would be an interesting, you know, kind of hate watch to see, you know, let, let's see who kills who first. Right. But, but now it's kind of like, Oh God, you know, (laughs) can I throw out a, an idea that I think is going to happen? And it's just a theory, right? Sure. I think they're going to turn Homelander good. Uh, It's going to be a very long redemption. (laughs) No, but I feel like it's like they're going like Game of Thrones with it. Like, they brought in the, I don't want to give a spoiler, but they brought in another character that seems to be, if not equally as evil, more evil than him this season. And, but that's, and they that's, added so much humanity to him. And that actor, whoever plays him, is oh, phenomenal in that yeah. role. Oh, and, 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 I, and I say that too. The show is, for what it is, it's very well written, extremely well acted, directed. The art direction is, is superb on the show. Like, I've got no issues with how it's produced it's just the story itself doesn't appeal to me anymore and that's one of the issues right there you just said it it's like giving him a redemption arc but no one has a redemption arc in the show like every time you think someone's going to be redeemed they turn left on you you know i have a very dark dark sense of humor so yes i mean i'll be honest with you all the gill sexuality that's in there is very um i want to know who did the research (laughs) <laughs> what i find interesting about the boys is 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 like it's you know like i think the reason why i find it to be like a kind of like the compelling story and and one worth like uh engaging with is i don't even so much you know maybe this is technically deconstruction i don't know but like i sort of wait when when the first season came out what i said was i was like you know we always think about how great it would be if like we, we had superheroes in real life, because we all think we would be getting super Superman. But in reality, if heroes are in the real world, we'd be getting Homelander. Like that's pretty much what it would be like. You know what I mean? They'd be like celebrities and cover-ups and like all this stuff. It's like, so I, I you know, I just kind of feel like it, it's very, it's like a deconstruction, but it's, it's a deconstruction. Like, very much of of this time like our current time like it's not just sort of like a rehash of, of watchmen or uh dkr or something like that like if i think it kind of does have 
something unique to say about like superheroes, celebrity, and like the way our current society would like react to having superheroes there. And and like I said, like like the I just have like a very dark sense of humor. So like the more fucked up it gets, the more I laugh. Uh, <laughs> um, but that's just me. So I'm going to assume you enjoyed the whale scene. Oh God! Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was gross, but it, it was, was brutal. It was pretty funny because <laughs> it's not a real whale. I mean, you know, we know that, right? Like, yeah. If that happens, Amazon doesn't really have well. the budget for a real whale. It, you know, <laughs> if that, obviously, if something like that happened to a real whale, I, I'd be I'd be upset. But it happened to like a, a CGI puppet, so I'm, I'm okay with it. But again, like, I mean, I'm. I, I'm kind of burnt out on it because of how dark it's gone. And again, and like uh, Dave said, there's nobody, nobody to root for, but it is very well done. Like anybody with your sense of humor, I would recommend it. It's, you know, or, you know, most people will like it. Yeah. You know? I mean, the, it's on Amazon prime, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so is the new Borat. Is it possible Borat joins the boys? Next time? Um, <laughs> Well, you, you said you wanted to bring somebody even more evil on. So that's yeah. what I'm saying. Now, hold on. If Borat joins the team, will the people who are naysayers in this group jump on for season three? <laughs> no. <laughs> I am very super good hero. He could wear that thong uh, hey. as his costume. <laughs> oh, God. Now, who is it? Jason Eccles, right? Is joining next season? Is he playing Soldier Boy? He's supposed to be Soldier Boy, which I guess is their version of Captain America. Right. Like, even that doesn't do anything for me. <laughs> so, yeah, Borat, definitely not. Um, maybe Scarlett Johansson. Oh, wait. Speaking of things I don't have budget for. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. I all mean, right. like, I, I, I don't, like, begrudge you for not liking it. Like, I'm not going to go send you a death threat. It's like, <laughs> people... People like what they like, and and I don't have any problem with. So that kind of that that actually kind of brings to me like that's what I would have probably rather seen from the show is there's this and I again I I was totally on board first season with the idea of the analogy of stardom mm-hmm. and making them you know the Hollywood kind of analogy, but there also should have been a view of regular people, not just the you know hunter and and uh our butcher i'm sorry and his team there should have been a view of like actual regular people who are like some people like a lot of people love them but there's got to be the group of people are like no matter what they do it's like oh that's wrong because that's more like what the real world's like you know where there are there are people that no matter how good they are there's somebody that doesn't like them you know Mm -hmm. and uh you know we should see some of that but they don't you know they just concentrate on the main characters i get it i don't know I just, I, it's, it's too much. It's too dark. That's just my opinion. Well, I mean, not everything is, is for everybody, you know, I mean, like, it's just like, we just live in such like a polarized time where it's like, everybody treats it like, you know, you're, you're either, um, you either agree with me or you're, or you're an idiot that deserves to die. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. You know, that I think that's kind of like, you know, separate from like, you know, the individual merits or, 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 drawbacks of, of the boys or the scott snyder dc movie or uh you know well, anything, really. scott snyder i mean <laughs> well look you know, what, no what, scott snyder zack snyder zack snyder zack snyder sorry all snyder 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 yeah but i mean like 
like like the, the the recent news that like Jared Leto is coming back as the Joker. Oh. Like you've got a bunch of yeah, you've got like a bunch of people that do exactly what you just did. You got a headache. And there are a bunch of people, bunch of people that are like, oh, awesome! Like we didn't get to see enough of him in Suicide Squad, or like, and it's like from where I'm sitting, it's like, okay, you know, it's, it's like your opinion. Like, like, there's no reason like get at each other's throats. Like, like, you know, well, not about comics. No, I mean, and that's, huh. that's, a, that's another great point. Right. Cause I just saw Joe Mag, Maganola, uh, however you say his name, he's going to be shooting scenes as Deathstroke mm-hmm. for this. And it's like, what happened to like, this is just a recut of his original movie. Yeah, I know it's, yeah, like it's already done. Movie. Yeah. <laughs> Taking it for three well, years. It, and like, like somebody asked me if I was excited to see it. And I was like, I don't know if excited is the word, but interested, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. like, like I have HBO anyway. So I've gone from not excited to more like, curious. Why am I, that's it's like, you know, I, I sort of want it. Like, I'm interested because it's like, it's like, okay, well, you know, you guys kicked up all this fuss and really like horrible about it. So it's like, so, you know, now it's time to like put up or shut up. It's like, it better be great, otherwise, you know, I'm gonna. Oh yeah. Well, if they're like shooting new footage. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the thing. The more the more I hear about the new footage and all the new scenes and all the all the people yeah. coming back and new new actors coming into it, the more the the less it's a you know a cut, and the more it is like they're rebooting the movie with the movie. It's yeah. kind of weird, right? Yeah. Ah, yeah. It's a like, give, give them credit. They're like. We didn't lose enough money when we first made the thing and sent it out there. So you know what? I'm doubling down. I'm doubling down. Oh no! No, they're tripling. Even more money. In. They're tripling down because they're going to put it in HBO Max. Yeah, yeah, without a theater, right? Yeah. Didn't, didn't they come out with news like yesterday or today that Keaton is signed on to do um, a, an old Batman show? He's doing the Flash movie. Yeah, he's doing like something where it's like like he's like a, a Batman in, in the multiverse or something. Yeah. Yeah, but he he I'm telling you, check it out. Otherwise, maybe I just read a, a BS article that he's he was signing on for like an HBO Max series or something with Batman. Well, he's Michael Keaton. He's Batman. He can do whatever he wants, man. This is he true. Is true. true. He's signed to star as Bruce Wayne in an HBO Max Batman Beyond series. Oh, there we go. Oh shit, that'd be awesome. Oh my god. Oh. No, this is this is on uh this is well this is smallscreen.co.uk. We so got sorry. this we got this covered. So no, no, it's yeah. not we got this. No, it's on no, IGN too. Oh, it's on IGN? Okay, then I buy it. Then there might be something to it. And slash film. Okay. Huh. Even with a broken voice, I come in here dropping news. Yeah. I mean, no. you guys need an entertainment <laughs> reporter, and yes, I will take the job. No, that's that's big news because I'm a Bruce Tim fan and the you know the Batman Beyond series. Man, I'll watch the now, hell who out do you, of that. Who do you cast as Terry McGinnis? Man, God, mm. you asked me something like that. My my knowledge oh, no. of like actors off the top of my head is like... Wait, who was that, JD? No, I didn't say anything. I'm thinking. Oh, I said John Mulvey. John Mulvey. Yes. <laughs> uh, if, we had, if we had the rights, that would be my picking point. You Who's play Head Joker, I play Terry McGinnis. <laughs> who would you I, do? I, th- I think you got to find someone. I think you got to find th- someone yeah, new. I, I think you have to find... A um, uh, what's the kid who plays currently plays Spider Man? Um, Tom Holland. Yeah, you have to find a Tom Holland type. I think that's rare, man. He's yeah. he was he's a rare pick. Can I'm gonna throw one out there, and no one's gonna like it. So I get ready to hear the Jews. Michael Sarah. done, <laughs> done. Michael Sarah. 
comes in, super geeky. Everyone can because I swear to God, there is more press to the casting than there is to a lot of other stuff. You build yeah. up that outrage where people I, have to see it. That's true. I think I think they have him in mind for Galactus. That would be wonderful. Five. Love it. <clears throat> Love it. <laughs> That's going to be the name of this episode. Michael, Sarah, Terry McGinnis, or Galactus. <laughs> that, that, would, that would actually treat the algorithm rather well. I think we would get some play off that episode yeah. title. <laughs> it's all about the algorithm, right? It is all about the algorithm. Cool, cool. Um, all right. Oh, so so we're getting eh, we're getting near the end here. So I'm going to ask Joe the question that we, we normally like to wrap up on. Um because Rich has answered this twice, I believe. Uh, and that is, hmm. how do you measure success? Ooh, that's a good uh, question. I think by just the amount of people you're able to reach with your story or your creativity. So, you know, I think everyone thinks in different ways. I think that as long as I can get um, people to pick up my stuff, to make it visually interesting, to work with great people like Rich, <clears throat> Comics Tribe, uh, David people, it's like, you know, to work and, and be fulfilled. I, I think that's kind of my thing. And if you can make a little scratch at it, that's great as well. Because obviously I've got to start a cocaine habit. Uh, <laughs> that's like not, that money. The, the cocaine habit isn't listed under risks in your Kickstarter, dude. So. I have such a strong heart. It's like, you know what, just see what it could do. <laughs> I, don't, uh, I don't think that's a good answer. Uh, Pardon me, doctor. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, Rich, have you changed your answer since we've talked last year? Yeah, I've decided that once I have a stack of books that's taller than Joe, that's... So three books. I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll right <laughs> off <of> success. <laughs> no, it's pretty, I think it's pretty much the same. And I feel like I've, I've kind of made made some strides towards that, you know, if I remember correctly, I think what I was saying was, uh, you know, it's it's like just sort of being able to uh, tell the stories that I want to tell and uh, and you know work with great people. So you know, okay, can I can I add on to mine as well? Mm-hmm. I think there's something, especially in the stages as you go along, being a creative person, where you're always kind of trying to open closed doors, mm-hmm. and at a certain point it's a little easier or the doors get open for you where people want to hear your input and your ideas. And, and I think that would be a measure of success when you get respect from a community rather than just maybe one or two people. Yeah. Like I will say like, you know, like in the past year, like since like Wailing Blade and Bird of Bones came out, like um, just sort of like going to convention and, and saying, just like introducing myself and being like, Hey, I'm Rich Duick. I wrote of Bones and hearing, uh, or Willing Blade and, and saying, oh yeah, I heard of that. That feels like, you know, a, a big stride towards like, you know, calling yourself a success without any like, you know, irony or self-deprecation there. That's really cool. Yeah. Cause it, it does feel different. You know, like I remember like years ago, it's like, you know, when I was first starting out, it's like, Hey, I'm, I'm rich. I write comics. Here's, here's uh, this thing, gutter magic. And we're going to, Oh, nice. I'll, I'll check that out. And like, probably like, if you if ten people said they would check it out, like one might actually do it. But you know, to sort of have like your name kind of get there before you, 
a little bit that that feels like uh definitely like it's it's a good feeling and make you know feel like you're not like kind of wasting your time doing all this stuff i think what i'm hearing from joe's answer is he's waiting uh for you rich to respect him but well that'll I, never happen uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, i was gonna say I was going to say you know, when you when when you know Joe as well as I do, uh, it's not. I was going to say with you making him draw intricate backgrounds as opposed to seven bubbles on a page, maybe hmm. you respect him more. Yeah, well, I, I would never give him anything to draw that I don't think he could handle, and I give him some freaking crazy stuff to draw. So <laughs> I have the highest esteem for Joe as an artist, and but to be honest, a lot of it is payback for uh, you know him blowing up the hotel rooms that we share. things happen (laughs) things happen david i'm gonna ask you right disappear into the bathroom and then it's just like you're like oh i have to leave like have you have you ever gone to one show with me and not had 90 stories to tell at the end of it (laughs) you're welcome no Uh, david if you're if you're thinking of being a creative um counselor almost like a marriage counselor for creative teams i think you might be on to something oh okay all right yes (laughs) Ah, so much truth in that answer. <laughs> so, um, all right, I guess we'll start with uh, you, Joe. Where can people find you online? Um, I have a Facebook page. I rarely use it. I am mostly on Twitter, which is uh, Joe Mulv, J-O-E-M-U-L-V, because the uh, real Joe Mulvey, not that I'm not the real Joe Mulvey, but another Joe Mulvey is a fisherman <laughs> from Montana, and he will not sell me that handle. So I am Joe Mulv, mostly on Twitter. It's the same handle on Instagram, and I'll be there. Cool. And Rich? Yeah, I'm uh, also mostly on Twitter, um, at R-Dueck, R-D-O-U-E-K. So that's also the same thing on um, on Instagram. Um, and uh, I also have a Facebook page. Not I don't use it so much for comics, though. It's mostly just to stay in touch with my mom and other relatives that are afraid of other social media. Um, but, but uh, yeah, I think like Twitter is the place to be. I also have a newsletter uh, that I send out uh, sporadically. I'm trying to get a little bit better, but it's uh, you know, I just wind up getting very busy, but I, I do, I do when I, when I do have news, I, I definitely share it on my newsletter. You can sign up for that at uh, Uh There's like a little, little sign up sheet there. Um, and, uh, the good thing about it being sporadic is you're definitely not going to get like annoyed. Like, I'm not going to be like sending you like five of them every week. So, um, but I try to do it like at least like monthly. I think I'm going to start my own newsletter mm-hmm. and I'm just going <clears> to <throat> say, sign up to this. And all it's going to be doing is me complaining to everyone who signs up that your newsletter isn't out on time. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, gotta have news um, and yeah. people that are interested in people. People that are interested in the Kickstarter, they can find it at comicstribe.com forward slash Wailing Blade, correct? Yep. Yep. That'll take you right there. Uh, if you if you're on if you're on the Kickstarter site already, if you just do a search for Wailing Blade and it'll pop right up. And just just an interesting note about the Kickstarter, you are fifty-nine point nine three percent um funded, which means that the next few people that go to your Kickstarter and sign up, they'll be under the 60%, which means that they'll get the milestone bonuses. Yeah. They, yes. We have milestone bonuses. We have, uh, I think the first one is sketchbook by Mr. Mulvey here. Mm-hmm. Uh, 80 pages. Yeah. 80 pages. Yep. Sign up now. You, you get that. Now, you get that. 
And we have other milestones at, I think, like 70, 80, and 90, and 100 75, 90, and 100. Yep. So if you get in now, you're going to get, like, extra stuff just for backing it, uh, like, uh, before we hit um, certain funding milestones. So so sometimes yeah. it's good to be first. Yeah. Pledge now. Pledge often. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> But uh, yeah, like we, I think, you know, we, we have a bunch of stuff planned uh, throughout the campaign that like uh, should be interesting and fun. Like we're introducing a few new characters. So like we're going to kind of roll those out, give like sneak previews and things like that and uh, have some contests and other giveaways uh, along with that. So yeah, keep your eye on it. And um, yeah, we, you know, we always have a good time with our fans. So I would, uh, you know, come along. Cool. Cool. All right. You guys uh, have anything else you'd like to add? John, JD? Nope. Not a thing. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm back. I'm a backer, by the way. That's why I'm. I was oh, me too. Yeah, I just. Thank you guys. Really, really appreciate yep. it. <laughs> Greatly appreciate it. Yes. All right. Uh, on that note, boys and girls, I want to thank our guests again, Rich and Joe, for joining us this week. And um, if you're looking, if you're a creative and you're looking for some uh, counseling, just reach me at Dave at SuperheroSpeak.com. <laughs> but until then, as always, thanks for listening. Don't let your cape get caught in the door. Have a good week.